I want to start off by asking you a couple of two or three questions. Question number one, are you different having been becoming a believer? Question number two, does anybody else know that you're different because you're a believer? A lot of times we're kind of happy that we have a better version of who we were and think that that's wonderful. But we're not supposed to be a better version of us. We're supposed to be like Christ. And so the first message asks those questions. The second message, the reason I'm putting it to two, because I know while not any, not the people sitting in the pews today, at least I don't believe so. But people who might be hearing say, well, I know all pastors ever talk about is giving to the church. So I'm going to combine two messages. And so the first message is, has nothing to do with giving your money to the church. The second one is going to be talking about not you giving your money to the church, but how God changes you in that respect. So in Exodus chapter 34, starting with verse 29, and I'm surprising the people in, on the screen. And it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand. As he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that his skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him, that being God. And so when, Mo, when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Now, I bet that was a pretty spectacular sight. They saw Moses go up one way, and they see him coming down with the, his face shining, almost like a reflection of glory, and that caused them to be afraid. And you can understand that. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. And afterwards, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. So what we're saying is not only did Moses' face shine when he came down from Mount Sinai, but every time he went into the tent of the meeting to speak with God, to find out what God wanted them to do further, his complexion would continue to shine. My view of this is almost as if it were like the moon that reflects the glory of those he's been speaking to, God. Moses, when he first came down, the people were afraid, but they weren't after he explained to them what was going on. And Moses would take the veil off to talk to God. He would also take the veil off to speak to the children of Israel when God had commanded something, but he would put the veil back over his face in between time. 
When Jesus appeared with his disciples on what's called the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus was there with his disciples, the three of his disciples. And he was transforming his face and his entire body glowed, shone forth. And it was his glory. The difference between Jesus's face shining and his body shining and Moses, Moses's shining was the reflection of God's glory. Jesus is shining and the transfiguration was because Jesus being God reflected his glory. But that was part of the understanding of that Jesus was the son of God. And interestingly, after that episode, he told those three who were there not to speak of it until after the resurrection. And so Jesus, not just only reflected God's glory, he radiated God's glory. Now in the New Testament, we see one example of someone's face who was different, and that was Stephen. And when Stephen was brought forth to the council to be tried for heresy and leading the people astray against the law, that the council saw him, and the scripture says that his face shone like an angel which may very well be because his face radiated. It doesn't say that it's shown, but there was something different and unique about Stephen because he was testifying of what God was doing. Paul tells us in Romans that Moses didn't put the veil on his face because his face was shining. Because the scripture we just read said, at first they were afraid. Once they understood what was going on, when Moses would speak to them, he would speak to them with the veil off, but then would place the veil back on. And the reason Paul tells us is because when Moses was spending any time away from God, his face started to not shine as much. It started to diminish. And people kept kind of staring at that. And instead of listening to what Moses was being or doing, they would say, well, Moses' face is kind of dimmer today than it was yesterday. And people get so sidetracked into how people appear as opposed to what people are saying. So Moses would veil his face to prevent that observation of his face dimming. But Paul also tells us, that even though Moses' face shone because he was given the law, which dims and diminished in comparison to who Jesus is, our testimony, our ministry, that of the New Testament, that of the gospel, is of greater glory than what Moses was dealing with. And yet somehow we kind of tend to just be very passive. And Paul is saying... We need to be bold because Jesus is changing us. And the ministry of reconciliation and the ministry of the gospel of the good news of Jesus should give us boldness and at the same time understand that just as there was a veil, there seems to be a veil over the hearts and minds of the Jews during Paul's day. That we should not be surprised when we testify of what God is doing. 
that people's heart and minds have a veil as well. But that should not deter us from presenting the gospel, not because of its success, but because we have been commanded to go and bear testimony of the gospel. So the glory that Moses experienced, to use a pun, pales in comparison to the glory that God has given us. And we sang just a little while, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. The same power that rescued the world lives in us. There should be a boldness, and we should be those types of people, just like Moses, where our face may not shine, but we should have a different appearance. We should be a peculiar people. Now, unfortunately, most of us, when we hear peculiar people, take the the wrong peculiar. We're just weird. We're supposed to be different from the world. And my question is, are we? Are we just a better version of the world? Or does the glory of God reflect on us, and are we like the moon reflecting his glory back? End of sermon number one. Sermon number two. There are two ways to be successful as a pastor in most denominations, including ours. First thing on your resume is you take a church of whatever size, whatever number of people show up, and you increase it. Somehow by that happening, that impresses other people. And it impresses um, pastor search committees saying, well, that guy must be good. And then the second thing that people do to put on their resume is building programs. I, we had a, this little small chapel, and we built this multi-large auditorium where thousands of people, and therefore I'm wonderful, and that impresses people, and we put it on our resume. The only problem, among others, that I have with that is you're giving the wrong person credit for the success. For if that person was successful and it was him who did it, then as soon as he leaves, then that will fall apart because it was him. And then you're calling that person so that you may temporarily grow and then have a a large building that nobody cares about. Or you give it to credit to the right person, which is the Holy Spirit. And then you determine whether that person is allowing the Spirit to use them. But nobody puts that on their resume. It's look at the results. And one of the reasons I don't push money is because money has a habit of being spent. And I don't care how much money we may take in on any particular week or month or year or whatever, we'll probably end up spending it. And which will mean that we'll need more money. 
which means we'll have to ask for more money. And then the people who will occasionally attend the church will say, aha, I know all they ever care about is money. Even on our website, we don't even ask for money. Now that might change not to increase the website, but to do some other things, but that's not our purpose to minister. Our purpose to minister is to communicate the gospel, the good news to the world. And I want to see, I want to show you here in these passages a true, wonderful building program, a building campaign. So in Exodus 35, it'll say this. Then Moses assembled all the congregation of the sons of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest of the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. And Moses spoke to all the congregations of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, and blue, purple, scarlet material, fine linen, goat's hair, and ram skins dyed red, and, purpose, and porpoise skins, and acacia wood, and oil for lighting, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and setting stones for the ephod, and for the breastplate. The request for the materials is request so that those building materials may be used in the construction of both the tabernacle, the courtyard, the furniture, and the priest's garments. They're asking for materials to be used in the building of the tabernacle and the priesthood. But notice he didn't say, everybody's required to send so much money in. He also didn't say, you know, if you give, the Lord's going to bless you real good and you're going to get more stuff which is the way most TV evangelists and others do. You send to me, and God will give you more. Notice that's not what it said here. God said, who's ever of a willing heart, this is what's needed. And not only that, it says in verse 10, let every skillful man among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. So not only were they to bring contributions, they were also to offer their talents of service. Now, I am not a carpenter. I'm not an electrician. I'm not a plumber. I'm none of those things. But apparently the people who helped build some of our buildings were none of those things either. Because there was a time when I was trying to, because you're supposed to have a stud so every so many inches so that you can make sure that whatever. So we're trying to attach something to the wall. They weren't there that many. It was hard finding the studs. But God said, I'm going to give people talent to build my tabernacle so that when they build the Ark of the Covenant, it won't look like this. It'll look the way it's supposed to. It won't look like Joe Davis made it. It'll look like somebody who knew what they were doing made it. 
Verse 20 says this, Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses' presence. Everyone's heart whose heart was stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him came and brought to the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of the meeting and for its, all its services and for the holy garments. Then all whose hearts were moved within them, both men and women came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets, all articles of, of gold. So th did every man who presented an offering of gold to the Lord. Every man who had in his possession blue and purple and scarlet material and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and porpoise skins brought and everyone who could make a contribution of silver and bronze brought to the Lord contribution. And every man had possession of, possession of acacia wood and all the work of his servant. So we, we see that the people came and we see that the women came and made, they spun the goat's hair and they did all that they were supposed to do. But notice again, it wasn't, we need to raise money for the tabernacle and no one's leaving until it's done. Moses said, go home. If your hearts are still willing, bring it back. There wasn't compulsion. There wasn't what we do today, guilt-tripping people. They weren't saying give until it hurts. Instead, it was give because it feels good, because you're doing what your heart has been stirred to do. Because let's face it, if God has your gold but doesn't have your heart, it just doesn't matter. Because quite frankly, God doesn't need your goal. Quite truthfully, God doesn't need your heart, but he wants it. He wants your life. He wants you. So he says, for those who have been stirred. It's moving to chapter 36. It goes and talks about the various ones who we talked about last week who, who God had given particular skill in order to do these things, and they came and forth and were doing it. And then 36, verse 1 through 7 says this. Now Beelzebub and Olelab were very skillful persons in whom the Lord had put skill and understanding to know how to perform all the work in the construction of the sanctuary, shall perform in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. You see, it wasn't just good enough to say, well, I have talent, I'm going to do this. I have talent, and I'm going to do it according to the Lord's specifications. We're not building a tabernacle because we think this is how it ought to be designed. We're building a tabernacle because God has commanded this is the way it's to be done because it was a pattern set forth from heaven. Then Moses called Bezalel and Oliab and every careful person to whom the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart was stirred him to come to work to perform it. They received from Moses all the contributions which the sons of Israel had brought to perform the work in the construction of the sanctuary. And they still continued to bring, bring to him free will offerings every morning. Not just on Sunday, not just on the Sabbath. Every morning they continue to bring contributions because, again, God had their hearts, not just their money, not just their stuff. And let's face it, as of what's happening is all the gold is then brought for the necessity of the 
production of that particular item, and then there would be the next item and the next item. So they would continue to do it as the building was going on. And all the skillful men who were performing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work with which he was performing, and they said to Moses, here's a miracle. The people are bringing much more than is enough for the construction of work which the Lord commanded us to perform. The builders saying, we got too much. The, the area where we're constructing, there's too much material. So Moses issued a command. And a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp saying, let no man or woman any longer perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more for the material which they had was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to perform it. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine one day you would hear a pastor say, you know, we have enough. Time out. Not only are you not to bring we're going to tell you you can't bring it. We're going to restrain you from bringing it. Obviously, these people aren't Baptists. They've gone from giving a willing heart to giving so much that there's just too much. So stop. Because there was a purpose. The purpose was to build the tabernacle. The purpose was to, to do the priest's clothing. That once there was done, it wasn't, well, what else can we do with the money? It was the people's heart were willing. God placed it on the hearts of those who were able to perform work. But once the giving and the work was over, the giving needed to end. So wouldn't it be awesome? The next time we decide to do a building program, instead of trying to get people to feel guilty about what they should give, instead of keep repeating over and over, you need to bring, you need to bring, you need to bring, we simply said, the Lord has need of this. Go home and think about it. If God lays it on your heart, wonderful. If he doesn't, that's okay too. Maybe in our building campaigns, instead of talking about how we are more effective at getting people to give, we're more effective at praying that God would change people's hearts. The last two verses is found in that we're going to look at today is found in Exodus chapter 39, verses 42 and 43. All those verses basically talk about the construction of the tabernacle. We've already talked about the plans, and so going over and talking about all the construction of the tabernacle, it's already been a long day, so I'm going to cut your break, but I would encourage you to read it because it's interesting. And it's also, like I said, exciting to see things like the altar of incense that we've talked about before, how that is in, the, in heaven. But verse, verse 42 says this, So the sons of Israel did all the work according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. 
again a miracle. Because every time God, God's people send to me, God says, do this command or do that command. In about 42 hours, they're off doing something else. But they did in this instance, in the, in the production, the construction of the tabernacle and the clothing of the priests, they did all that God had commanded them. And Moses examined all the work, and behold, they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. This they had done. Moses didn't take it and say, well, okay, well, these people, I gave them the orders, they built it, wonderful. No, Moses inspected. The people did exactly what God had commanded, but Moses made sure that they'd done everything according to what God had commanded. And it passed inspection. I suspect that inspection was a little more uh, intense than when the fire department comes and inspects our property. I have to follow him around, and he says, you got to do this, you got to do that. And he usually gives me a time limit, and if I don't do it, terrible things will happen to us. Moses inspected, seeing that God had commanded and the people had performed. So Moses didn't just say, well, okay, wonderful, let's go home. Notice what Moses does. So Moses blessed them. Moses blessed them. Moses could have said, you know what, well, you just did what God commanded you to do. Go home. But when people do what the Lord commands, then the leaders of God's people should also bless them. Because as I said, I think a miracle happened here. They had to be restrained in giving. They followed all of God's commands, at least in this area. And Moses recognized it. I suspect, though it doesn't say, Moses probably thanked God a whole lot. Because these people, over and over, are an obstinate people. But one shiny moment, one time when it dealt, came with money and property, that they did it so willingly to the point that they had to be restrained. So, in our context, what has God laid on your heart? What has he stirred your heart to do? It seems in a lot of churches, God stirs people's heart to tell somebody else to do something. Well, pastor, I think we ought to do this. Wonderful. Why don't you start it? Well, I'm not qualified. Well, did heart God stir your heart? Yeah. Then maybe he's stirring you to do something. Maybe you don't have that particular talent, but maybe God will give it to you. You got to remember, these people were slaves. Their job was to make bricks. 
And now they're fashioning items of gold and silver and bronze, artistic work. They're making furniture and they're making pillars. They're doing all of this stuff and they're making garments out of strange material. It's not because they came and saying, well, that used to be my job when I was a slave. No, your job was making bricks. All too often, we're concentrated on our offering of money, tithes, and offerings. But there was work to be performed here. How successful would the construction project have been if the people brought the items necessary, but God didn't give the talent to construct? So yes, God wants all of you. But writing a check and dropping it into the offering plate is not all that God asks of you. We have been giving a ministry, that ministry of reconciliation, and it can take place in different ways. You could feed the hungry. You could sing in a band. You could invite people to come to hear the word. You could actually study the scriptures and be changed by it. And when people say, well, you know, you're different today than you were yesterday. Said, because I spent time with God. And my face may not shine, but my life is different. I'm not a better version of who I want to be. I'm a little closer to who Jesus is. I got a long way to go. And I won't get there until he comes back. But I want to have a willing heart. I want to be like Jesus. And I want to do all that he commanded. Things like love one another as he has loved us. Things like, let your light so shine that they may see your good works and not glorify you, not glorify the pastor, but glorify God the Father. So at the beginning I asked, are you different? Have you noticed that you're different? I also asked, does anybody else know that you're different? And then I ask now, what has God stirred in your heart to do? And having answered that question, the next question is, what's stopping you? You should only stop when God restrains you. And all God's people said,